the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. I would look at it as a marketing investment and not a source of income in most cases. If you write something that happens to have a, a broader appeal, then obviously you might be able to make some money off of it. But otherwise, I would look at it as marketing more than income. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is... The Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Well, I just had some barbecue. You know, I got a, uh, a uh, Komodo Joe smoker for Father's Day. And I've just started using it, trying to smoke some meat. The first batch turned out a little bit too dry, and I think I've got things tweaked properly. Dude, I've got a Kamado grill. It's Vision Grills, and it's it's just a, just a different brand. You know, Green Egg, Kamado, Kamado Joe, Vision Grills. There's Acorn. Whatever you get, they're freaking awesome. I mean, it's, they're just the best grill. So good. Uh, what else, so what have you grilled so far? Just beef brisket and turkey. Man, you, 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 I mean, it's just, you're going to have so much fun with it. It's, it's so great. So great. All right, man, you want to get going with the show? Yes, let's do it. We, you want to go ahead and introduce our guest? Yeah. So our guest today is actually the spouse of one of our previous guests, one of our favorite people, uh, Ryan McKean. Allison McKean is our guest. And it's funny because she, we're sort of chatting before and she, she wears several hats at Connecticut Trial Firm, office manager, CFO. The website really kind of lists a lot of other things, marketing, human resources. It sounds like she does everything. So it sounds like she keeps the ship running. So um, she's going to talk I'm about- I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, seems like, it seems like you're kind of the, you're the glue. You're keeping everything together. So Allison, thank you so much for coming on. I Thank you for having me. All right, Allison. So before we get started, I know that you are an author yourself. So we're going to talk about legal stuff and self-publishing and all that stuff. But tell us about your own work as an author. I've written, I think I've written 10 or 11 books. I, I kind of like lost track, but I, I started writing romance. I wrote under the name uh, Natalie Charles. I wrote for Harlequin. I also self-published a few titles and I've written for Simon and & Schuster. And now I'm writing um, cozy mysteries for uh, a company called Good Lane. Talk a little bit about how you got from there to working with Connecticut Trial Firm. Just talk a little bit more about your journey. I'm a lawyer. Ryan and I graduated at the same time. 
Um, so I was writing at the same time that I was practicing law, which is why I chose a pen name. Um, so it's always been something that I've done simultaneously. And um, I joined Connecticut Trial Firm well, we opened in 2018, um, but I joined Ryan's practice, McKean Law Firm, previously um, and, and left my previous position because it allowed me to, to do more writing, to um, have a more flexible schedule where I could pursue both interests. And so have you, have you been involved in practicing law as a lawyer, Allison? Um, I have. I started out at a larger law firm in Hartford practicing land use law. I then went to the Connecticut General Assembly and I was there for six years and I wrote laws um, involving municipalities and housing. Um, and then when I came to join Ryan, I was practicing real estate for a little while and um, we decided to shutter our real estate practice and to focus on personal injury. So since then, I've really been more of a I've been in more of a support position, um, doing the finances and, you know, any managing the office, doing anything else that really needs to be done. All right, Allison. So um, I'll make sure that Ryan doesn't listen to this episode because I want to hurt his feelings after this next question. Okay. <laughs> so t tell us what it's really like working with your spouse. So it helps that we have um, two distinct roles. In the firm, I think that that has um, that's a good thing for us to not be working together necessarily. It, it gives us more to talk about, and it gives us something else to talk about. So I think I think it's been fine having two different roles in the firm. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. You know, I practice with my wife, and and whenever we sort of cross pollinate the things we're working on, there always seems to be a little bit more conflict. And, how do you handle um, not talking about work at home? Though? That's something that we've sort of struggled with. Some of it is unavoidable, but we do our best. I'll put it that way. We just try to have other interests. You know, having we have two young children and they take up a lot of time too, but we, we try to talk about, you know, anything other than <laughs> work when we're at home because it just becomes your entire life and I don't want it to be that. So we, we both do our best at that. But it's hard. It's hard to set boundaries. Very good. So I'm going I'm to shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about what the topic that we brought you in, on here for, and that's self-publishing. Because I know that a lot of people are interested in doing that. They don't know where to start. John Fisher had his big presentation at Max LawCon, and he really set the different, like basically the cost. He talked about everything, and he had a little mini trial and talked about, you know, his wife took one side, he took another side, how, why you should publish a book. She, she talked about why you shouldn't. And it was really interesting to see both sides. And then he split the room up to see, you know, who, who won kind of a thing. But talk, because he didn't go with self-publishing. He went with an actual publisher. And I think that adds a tremendous amount of cost. There, it's way different, it sounds like, when you, whenever you self-publish, you can save a lot of money. So can you talk about how, just, I guess, how do you start? Like, where do you begin? Okay, so I, I do want to begin first with finances, um, you know, because John Fisher had that $40,000 figure, which is eye-watering to me and probably to a lot of other people who might be looking at writing a book. Um, there are different routes. Self-publishing does not have to be 
that expensive. It can be if you would like to hire experts or if you want to hire ghost writers. Um, but I mean, the, the place where you begin is with a manuscript, obviously, which we could probably have a, an entire <laughs> podcast about, you know, how do you get to manuscripts? Um, that's always a big question. But once you have a manuscript, there are different editors. You know, I, I can talk about the process, if you'd like, the, the editing process, or would you like to talk about the, the manuscript process? What would be helpful? Yeah, I think I think beginning with the manuscript is 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 key to it because you know what you know what word processor do you use? Like, how do you get it? If you have multiple authors, how do you get all on the same page? I mean, talk a little bit about that too. So I actually put together Tiger Tactics, um, which everybody who's at the conference is is familiar with. Um, I helped them compile that, and so what I the software that I like to use is something called Scrivener. Um, I don't know that if it's only Mac-based. I'm not sure. Um, but I use a, a, docu a processor called Scrivener where it, it allows you to move chapters and um, pieces of your text seamlessly. Other, if you're working in Word, which is completely fine to work in Word, but if you have a lot of moving parts, you have to copy and paste, and that can be a little bit difficult to keep track of. So um, I like to use Scrivener for chapters and for collaborative projects. It, it's just much easier to organize. How about working day to day? Like, do you like to write in the morning? Do you suggest, you know, we have a lot of people, you saw the room sort of split up when John was asking for commitments for people to, to write this year. What, what as far as the activity of writing, I know, Stephen King has that great book on writing, and he talks about, you know, he writes every single day, and I just would love to hear your process on that. So I write mostly fiction. Um, so it's not the same as um, when I'm working for the firm where I can write during the day, so during the work day. Um, I tend to do most of my writing at night. And um, my process has usually been to to brew coffee, and to put the kids to bed, and to write at night. Um, you write when you can squeeze it in, really. Um, but I, I think that if you're if you're working on something for the firm, it, it becomes part of your part of your day. Uh, and I would absolutely prefer to write in the morning. That's when I do my best work. I think. So do you normally begin with an outline? How do you, how do you structure it? So yeah, outlines I think are, are key. Again, again, my background is fiction. So there are certain ways to structure a fiction or a, a piece of fiction. Um, you know, so something happens at the 10% point, something happens at the 20% point. Um, when you're working with a nonfiction work. I think it makes sense to first of all, what are what are you trying to say? What is your thesis? What why are you writing this book? What are you offering? Um, and I think it's helpful to jot down the, the different high points you're going to hit. Um, maybe jot down chapters and and certain notes. You know what's going to be said in in this chapter. What's going to be addressed in that one? Um, but I think the biggest question 
always is, what are you saying? Why are you writing this book? Talk to us a little bit about the Tiger Tactics project, how you guys came up with the idea, how you shepherded it through, and how you worked with different authors. So my role in Tiger Tactics was compiling all of the pieces and sometimes um, prompting people <laughs> to send me their chapters um, and trying to keep things on a schedule. Uh, my, so I didn't, I wasn't involved in the actual planning of Tiger Tactics. Um, but my role was to pull everything together, put together introductions, kind of distill what the different authors were saying so that it, all these voices coming together made some kind of sense. Um, and then I helped them through the self-publishing process, finding an editor. Um, Jay ultimately took care of graphic design and formatting and things like that. But um, I, I was trying to, because when you're working on a collaborative project, somebody has to be the one taking the lead on something, making sure that everything gets done. So I was like project manager for Tiger Tech. So it looks like I, I looked up Scrivener while you were talking. Scrivener works on PC and Mac, it looks like. So they've got, oh, okay. they had a PC Good release enough. too. So, so it looks like it could work on both. So my, here's my question. So you, you've gotten everything organized. You've got your manuscript um, and you're ready to take it and push it out to the masses. I don't, I don't really have, I'm so naive when it comes to this. So after you've gotten the final manuscript, what do you do next? So there are different kinds of editors. Um, the first person that read, well, let me back up. There are different ways to approach the project. Um, the first person who reads a manuscript is normally a beta reader. Um, or several beta readers. These are trusted people uh, who are colleagues or um, you know, friends, associates, people who will read your book and be honest with you about what's working and what's not working. And then you can make changes. These are large picture revisions that you're making. You could also go to a content editor for that. Um, a content editor will serve the same purpose where they'll say the flow is working, this chapter should move over here, um, but obviously you pay somebody for that. You make revisions after that, and then the manuscript goes out again to a copy editor. And a copy editor is, is one part, if you're looking to save costs, I would not, I would not skip the copy editor. They're very helpful. They, these are your um, very detail-oriented, kind of pedantic in the nicest way editors. They, they actually will go line by line through your manuscript, and they'll tell you whether the Chicago Manual of Style require, requires the word internet to be capitalized anymore. They'll check your citations. They'll tell you if, you know, if, if what you're saying, if your sentence makes sense. Um, if your commas are misplaced. Uh, so they are the ones who really go through and clean up your text. After that, you make changes again. And the final step is a proofreader. And that's how you get your manuscript into shape in a nutshell. 
Was there anything unusual about this process for Tiger Tactics that differed significantly from the prior books that you worked on, Allison? I haven't worked on a collaborative project before like this, but I don't think so. There, there were more cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Um, but as far as the process that they went through, they went through the content editing, copy editing, and then proofreading like any other book would. Um, so no, I, I think that it followed a pretty normal process. All right, so you've, you've gotten it edited and then what do you do with it then? Like I've heard some people use Amazon, there's other services. What, what services can you use to, to start having it printed? There are two primary choices. Um, one is InDesign. You have to format your book, so it can either be done through Adobe InDesign or you can go through Kindle Direct Publishing. Most, most people would go through Kindle Direct Publishing. Um, InDesign is what New York publishers use. So it allows you a little bit more flexibility if you're looking to add illustrations or if you have an unusual size that you want. But Kindle Direct Publishing, I think, would be helpful for most purposes or useful for most purposes. Um, so what you do when you have a manuscript is you send it. You, you can format it yourself if you're into that, um, if you're good at these kinds of issues. But if not, it's really easy to find a professional who can do it. We use a man named Goran from around 26, and he's, or, or, I'm sorry, around 86. He's on Fiverr. Um, he does formatting and graphic design, so for a cover. There are, there are lots of professionals who will help you to format a manuscript for either of these platforms. One resource that I recommend is thebookdesigner.com. They have a lot of um, graphic designers, and uh, he actually has templates available if you wanted to find a template to format your book so that you can use it easily on CreateSpace. Or, I'm sorry, it's not CreateSpace any longer. It's Kindle Direct Publishing. Allison, what kind of response has the book had at the firm? Do, do clients know about it? Do pe are people impressed that Ryan and you were part of it? Or how, how's that gone? There's been a lot of great positive feedback about Tiger Tactics. Uh, Ryan gets most of it because I was very much behind the scenes on it. Um, but yeah, I think they're they're doing really well and people have been responding really well to the book. They find it helpful. And I think they were all, I was impressed when I was reading Tiger Tactics because they're, all the authors are very vulnerable. They're very honest about their experiences and their um, failures as well as successes. Uh, and I think it's refreshing. So I, I, it's, it's had a really good response. So it's my understanding that most people that publish a book, it, they're using it for a marketing purpose. They're not necessarily using it to, to make money off of the sales of the book. Can you talk about what people can expect when it comes to the actual sales of the books? I would look at it as a marketing investment and not a source of income in most cases. If you write something that happens to have a, a broader appeal, then obviously you might be able to make some money off of it. But otherwise, I would look at it as marketing more than income. Allison, I didn't get a chance to see at the end of John's trial which side you 
sided with, but I'm assuming that you think that lawyers should should write. And why why should our listeners think about writing a book? What's the what's the bang for the buck? So with our books, we've we've published other books too. Just for the firm, we published a book called Empower Yourself, and we took a lot of uh, we wrote it for our clients, and it's something that we actually send to our clients, and it answers a lot of questions that they have about the personal injury process, and it's divided into chapters on liens and, uh, you know, how long does this process take, and, and it addresses things like that, and we send it to them at the beginning of our relationship so that they have something to turn to as questions arise, and so that we can be kind of ahead of their questions. And also it serves a purpose for us because we're not always on the phone answering these these basic questions. So um, clients really appreciate that. It's just something that we can offer to them at the outset, uh, anticipating their needs. It's also something that we have sent to other attorneys in the area to establish ourselves as knowledgeable in this field. So I don't think that you can really go wrong having that book, that resource available to clients and um, other attorneys. Awesome. I'm curious if if you all, I mean, how how often you actually reference the book when it comes to when you're talking to the clients? And I'm assuming that most probably don't read the book from cover to cover. Um, are there any other creative ways that you all can reference it? I'm just curious how it works because I, I know that you can give them the book, you can expect them to read part of it, but do you all ever reference it during conversations? Do you all uh, have them bring it in during depositions or any other ways that you all use it? We actually have a separate book for depositions. It's an unpublished book, um, but it is something that we formatted and um, created through Kindle Direct Publishing and we give it to clients in order to help them prepare for deposition. And that saves us a lot of time on the preparation side as well. Um, the, the material that we use in our Empower Yourself book can be found online. These are, um, so we do use them, that material in other ways through you know, online marketing. Um, and yeah, I guess I can't assume that all clients are gonna read it cover to cover. Um, but we do have people who, you know, get anxious about their case and uh, want to geek out on um, all the subtleties of personal injury law. So, um, or we want to cut off any, um, well, I talk to my friend. We don't, we don't want them to Google or talk to other people about um, their case before they come to us. So this is a way for us to kind of get ahead of that. Allison, you've mentioned Kindle Direct Publishing a couple times. I'm sure many people are familiar with a Kindle, but could you talk a little bit about how working with Amazon on a Kindle book uh, maybe differs from publishing and just sort of walk us through how it works? Yeah, so um, traditional publishing is a whole separate thing. You, you don't have control over your cover usually or how large your book is going to be or how it's going to be distributed or what the price is going to be. Uh, or what it's going to look like, you know, even something as simple as the font size or the typeface. Uh, on Kindle Direct Publishing, you have control over all of these questions. So you are the publisher. You can even set up a press name if you want to make it look like you've been traditionally published. Um, that's totally fine. Um, 
but you're in charge of the entire process. So you upload a cover, you upload a formatted manuscript that looks however you decide you want it to look. Um, you set the price. You determine whether or not you are going to publish this or where. Like I, I said, we have a, a deposition book that is unpublished, but we print it through uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. So we have a professional looking book, but it's not for sale. Um, that's always an option if you want to just keep it, you know, personal to your firm, confidential, whatever. Um, but otherwise, you set the the market, you set the price. Um, and I believe that Kindle, I haven't done it very recently. They're always changing things at Amazon. But you can create um, an ebook first, and then they'll guide you through the process creating a paper book. Um, it, it's very user-friendly, and I think for most purposes, Kindle Direct Publishing is, um, is what you want to use for your book. So you all have done a really good job of getting the word out about Tiger Tactics, and it's helped a lot of people. Can you talk a little bit about just getting the word out, marketing the book, so that people um, can get it out to the people? Ryan and Jay and Billy, <laughs> I think they'd be better able to answer um, what they've been doing to market the book. But they have started a podcast recently, um, a Tiger Bite podcast. So um, that's all part of their marketing plan, too. Obviously, handing it out at the um, Maximum Lawyer Conference. Um, but th they've been really driving that process. All right, Elson, so are we going to see a follow-up to Tiger Tactics? I think that's the next plan for them. But as far as what I'm allowed to say or what their plans are, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, I would anticipate a follow-up, of course. Look at the people you're talking about. They're, they're busy. All right, awesome. I, I look forward to that. All right, Allison, we need to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group and get involved there. There's a lot of great information being shared each day. Also, if you don't mind going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and give us a five-star review, that would be excellent. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? My hack this week comes from Ramit Sethi. Ramit was on uh, Tim Ferriss' show. They did about a two-hour episode, and they one of the two of them, I don't remember who it was, I think it was Ramit, said that when he goes out of town and he's staying in a hotel, he has a list of foods that he can get delivered from Whole Foods and he uh, uses Instacart or some other delivery service to bring food to his hotel as opposed to going out in a town that he doesn't know and just eating crap. He has a list of food that works with his diet, and I'm going to try working on this when I go out of town next time. Very, very good stuff. Awesome. All right, Allison, so we always ask our guests to give a tip or a hack of the week. Um, it could be a book. It could be a, a, really anything, a podcast, whatever you want to do. Um, do you have a tip or a hack, uh, hack for us? Yeah, I think I have to say Tiger Bites podcast. Check it out. It's brand new, um, and there's lots of episodes already. Excellent stuff. All right, so my tip of the week is actually a it's, – it's, it's actually a, a docu-series on Netflix. It's actually really, really interesting, and this is more for the criminal defense lawyers out there. Exhibit A is the name of it. It's really cool, and it, it, it examines different types of forensic evidence, and it really is cool. And so um, it's summertime. You know, you may want to take a little bit of time off and enjoy things, and, and that's one of them. And you're, you can also – 
kind of do a little bit of work while you're doing it. So that is my tip of the week. Allison, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a lot of a blast and a lot of great information about self-publishing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.